Who is this man? You know, why are you here today? Why are you watching online? More books have been written about this guy than any other person. Why is that? Let's pause for a moment's prayer. May the words of my mouth and also the thoughts of all who hear be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Whether there are doubts, whether there are concerns, whether there are questions, you know, let us approach you humbly, Lord, uh, honestly and, and with confidence, knowing that you can receive our doubts, you can receive our questions, you can receive our concerns and, uh, without offense, and, and that your love is greater than our doubt. Lord, bless us to this end, we pray in Christ. Amen. I say it's good to be back with you. Uh, I've been away. If you're watching online, you may not even know who I am. I'm Steve Hire. I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and uh, we had the opportunity to get away. We were pretty much uh, here all summer because our staff is younger and have children that were on vacation, so their parents take time when their kids can go with them, and, and uh, our kids are in their 30s now, and so we can wait until you all get back in school and get back in your commitments, and we can go places and do early bird dinners and things like that, so... You know, uh, so we were gone. We were out in Boise taking care of our son's family while the parents went back to work. And then when they went back to school, we did some traveling throughout Oregon. It was good. But uh, we kept up with you. We watched the Cannonball series uh, online. Uh, We were sometimes in worship at a church, but we could always catch those messages later. They're archived. And so that's just an awesome thing. And it was just such a blessing to us to be a part of it in that way. We're in a new series. In fact, this is the first of the new series called Who Is This Man? And uh, I think, wow, this was written for me because I'm all about character studies. Uh, I graduated from the seminary, of course, four years of college, four years of seminary. And uh, I was uh, highly schooled in classical languages and in theology, not so much in management of an organization, not so much in leading people, uh, not so much or at all in budgets. And yet that's what kills and uh, blesses uh, ministries like this. But I don't think that's unusual. You know, I don't blame my seminary for failing me in my education because that's true of you too. You may have been really interested in math and so you, you fired up on math and, and you became a teacher and you said, kids? There are kids involved in this profession? I didn't know kids would be involved. You know, so you have to learn things that are not necessarily in your expertise. The same with medical science. You know, you may be great at understanding the medical issues, but you have to deal with people. You have to run an office, and that may have been shocking to you. And you know, as I know, that there's so much more that you have to learn after you graduate, whether you're an engineer, whether you're a medical person, whether you're a pastor, uh, that will either bless or not bless your profession. Now, how did I address that? I addressed that with character studies. I just said, man, there are some people who have figured out leadership issues. There are some people who have figured out how to move an organization forward. I want to read what they have to know. I want to know about their life story. And so I began to read biographies and autobiographies. And this was one of the first that I ever read. If you've been in this church for a while, you know I've mentioned Booker T. Washington, maybe one of the most influential books I've ever read. In fact, I have a first edition copy of this book that I've never opened hardly because it's precious to me. I have another paperback copy that hardly will stay together because I've underlined it, taken notes in it, and all kinds of things. And, and uh, this guy was born into slavery but became a, a great leader, known even to President Lincoln, traveled the world, and established Tuskegee Institute. One thing he said in his book captured my attention, and I think it encouraged me more and more 
to continue the study of people. He said, the older I grow, the more I'm convinced that there is no education which one can get from books or costly apparatus that is equal to that, nothing else equal to that, which can get, you can get from contact with great men and women. Instead of studying books so constantly, how I wish that our schools and colleges might learn to study men and things. You know, it's just so true. You know, we need to study people because they've learned some things and we can learn from them. And so I, I took off and began to read uh, biography after biography, autobiography after autobiography. In fact, the first book I ever wrote was called Sharpening the Sword, which is a character study of 50 great leaders. And, and what they learned, which I found also to be compelling and typically a truth from Scripture. I was amazed that people who didn't even know God had through experience come to understand some truth that God's word taught. I think it's true that you can uh, learn that a brick wall is hard by running into it or by somebody telling you that it's hard, you know, and I prefer the second way. And that's why I study the word of God because there's truth that is taught there, but I can also learn from people. In fact, I continue to read books, and these are some of the last three uh, biographies that I've read in the last six weeks or so. Uh, Jack London always fascinated me. Uh, I read him as a child. Uh, he wrote uh, The Call of the Wild, White Fang, Sea Wolf. Uh, he was quite an adventure writer, and a lot of young boys love to read his stuff. I was curious about this guy. Uh, so I, when I saw the book, I usually go into a bookstore, a used bookstore, and, and look at their uh, biographies, autobiographies, their history books. And so I picked this one up, and I thought it was interesting. This guy, as I read about him, had no formal education, had not even graduated high school. And taught himself to do this. He grew up on the streets of San Francisco. You know, he, he was really a street urchin. Uh, before he was even a teenager, he rode boxcars across the United States. Was kind of forced into unloading boxcars and ships in New York Harbor. Uh, all the different experiences he had. Hired himself out to whaling ships and to sealing ships. And went up to the Klondike when he was age 21. Died by age 40 because of health issues. But led... Uh, an incredible life of writing. Uh, and, and when commenting on writing in this book, he said, don't tell the reader, don't, don't, don't. Because I write a little bit, I was curious about what he had to say about writing. He said, have your characters tell the reader. By your character's deeds, by your character's actions, by your character's talk. Don't narrate, don't. Paint, draw, build, create. An incredible mind, you know, just learned from, from studying him. And the next guy, uh, Nat King Cole, this is one of the few uh, biographies or autobiographies that I actually went in search of, because I was curious about this guy. Of course, uh, he's well known because of his music. You know, he wrote Straighten Up and Fly Right, uh, Mona Lisa, Nature Boy, you don't know the title, you'd know the song, Unforgettable, After Midnight, The Christmas Song, which you know as Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire, Route 66. But it wasn't his songs that intrigued me. What intrigued me uh, during the 1940s when America was even more racially divided and segregated than it is today. I mean, he sang in places that he was not allowed to stay or eat. And yet he was the darling of middle-class white women like my mother. My mother loved his songs, and I just thought, it's so curious, because that generation and, and my family too was a bit racist in some of their attitudes. And I thought, how did you come to love this guy? And, and so I was curious about this guy, and, and I read, uh, and on the subject of race, in his book he says, I clam up on the subject of race. I'm a performer, not a professional agitator. I don't believe in paying it lip service. I'm not for talking, criticizing, or blaming. I'm interested in doing something positive. 
I'm fighting for the cause of all men. I'm not just for race, but for everybody in my profession. You know, I'm just a man. I'm a singer. I'm a musician. And uh, I'll convince the world that race doesn't matter by how well I do my craft. You know, kind of Booker T. Washington's uh, view of things as well. So I was fascinated by that wisdom in this man. And he made a difference by living out his life according to that principle. And then the last guy was kind of curious to me. In fact, I picked this book up just before we went out to Idaho and went out to Oregon. And so I was reading it. I like to read on the airplane. uh, And uh, all the downtime that I have, I like to stay up later at night. I'm not one that needs a lot of sleep. And so I'd stay up and read. And so I read about Eric Clapton. Because I noticed that Eric Clapton, in May of this year, celebrated his 70th birthday. What rocker ever lives to be 70 years old, especially through the 60s when he was rocking it out. I mean, most of them uh, died or became debilitated because of the drugs and the alcohol that they used. I think, how did this guy survive? Well, he nearly didn't, but his life has been transformed. The last 20 years of his life, he's established a normal family. He has a loving wife, has raised incredible children. What changed for him? What changed for him? Well, he went to a drug rehab center uh, uh, some years ago, and and he stayed sober for about a year and then began to believe that he could socially drink again, and everywhere around him people were doing drugs and drinking, and, and so it was kind of a professional hazard. And he began to believe that he could do that again as well until it nearly killed him the second time. And so he went back into rehab, and at the end of his rehab time, he realized that he was about to be released and he was no better. He wrote in his book, and this was kind of interesting to me, he said, it shocked me to realize that there I was in a treatment center, a supposed safe environment, and I was still in serious danger. I realized that nothing had changed in me. I was absolutely terrified and in complete despair at that moment Almost of their own accord, my legs gave way, and I fell to my knees. He goes on to say, in the privacy of my room, I begged for help. I had no notion of who I thought I was talking to. I just knew that I had come to the end of my tether. I had nothing left to fight with. Then I remembered what I heard about surrender, something I thought I could never do. My pride would simply not allow it. But I knew that on my own I wasn't going to make it, so I asked for help. I got down on my knees and I surrendered to God. An atheist would probably say it was just a change in attitude. And to a certain extent that's true. But there was much more to it than that. I'd found a place to turn to. A place I'd always known was there but never really wanted or needed to believe in. From that day until this, I've never failed to pray in the morning on my knees asking for help, and at night to express my gratitude for life and mostly for my sobriety. If a hardened guy like that, a guy who had, you know, hundreds and hundreds of women in every town, a guy who abused alcohol, he abused drugs, who had six, seven, eight homes, a a huge yacht, you know, more money, he could light his cigars with money, this guy. You know, he not only had these famous songs, he did backup for songs like As My Guitar Gently Weeps by George Harrison. You know, he just had everything he could have, and yet he was distraught. He was lost until he met the man that would not go away, Jesus Christ. That's who we're going to be studying. 
It's interesting how this uh, cover is depicted in the two books. This left book is the book that is the actual book that Ortberg wrote, and that's the cover that they promote. I think it's interesting. I think they wrote that, they put that cover on there for Christians because we like to think about Jesus as dying on the cross for us. But I prefer the cover on the right, which is the cover to the study guide, which is who is this man? You know, people who don't know him, we don't want to just think about what he did. We want to think about what he does because he's not like any other character study that I've been involved with. He's not about the past. He's about your present. He's about your future. See, I don't believe that Jesus was just a great teacher. I don't believe that Jesus was just a compassionate healer. I don't believe that Jesus was just a prophet. I don't believe that he was just a king of a time. I don't believe that he was just a savior who died in the past on the cross. I believe that he is all of those things for me. He is the same yesterday, today, and he will be that way tomorrow for my grandchildren should the world last that long. Here's what he said predictive about his continued existence in our life. He said, you know, where two or more of you gather in my name, like here, like in your living room at home, he said, you know, I'm right there with you. I hear you, and I will answer you. He said, even on the Mount of Ascension, just before leaving his disciples, in fact, uh, he told them before this night, he said, it's to your benefit that I go away, and I'm going to talk more about that. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. And do this, making them followers by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you've not been baptized, by all means, you know, come up and talk to me. We need to talk about that. God wants to change your life. He wants to wash away your sins and and give you the gift of faith. And teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. And then he said, you know, I'm, I'm not just a past action. I'm not just a Savior that was and that did. I am surely with you always to the very end of the age. He's the man that won't go away. Uh, For the basis of today's message, who is this man? I want to take you to some words that he spoke, uh, and they're recorded in John chapter 14. He spoke these in the upper room. Right before he left, after the Lord's Supper, after he washed his disciples' feet, before he went down to the Garden of Gethsemane, was arrested, and the next day crucified, He knew what a sad time this was for his disciples. He knew what a confusing time it would be for them. And in order to prepare them for that, he said these words, beginning at verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. I know you're godly people. I know that you realize there are things you can't understand. You believe in God. Well, believe also in me. My father's house has many mansions, many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you. And I'm leaving you to prepare that place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, it follows logically that I'm going to come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. And you know the place where I'm going. Thomas said, Excuse me. (laughs) Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way you are going? How can we know the way to you? Jesus answered, Thomas, I am the way. I am the truth. Thomas, I am the life. No one comes to the Father. No one has the Father. No one can receive the Father or have the Father in their life except through me. And Thomas, if you really knew me, 
you would know my father as well. And from now on, Thomas, you do know him, and you have seen him. Philip, who obviously was not in the room, or was using his smartphone, (laughs) said, Lord, there's an idea. Just show us the father. That would be enough. That would convince us. Just show us God. Jesus said, Philip, don't you know me? Even after I've been with you for such a long time, have you lost it? Have you missed it? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father? And that the Father is in me? That the Father and I are one, as he said somewhere else? The words I say to you, I don't speak of my own authority, not of my own accord. We're united. Rather, it is the Father who is living in me who is doing his work through me. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence. You know, if you don't believe what I say, at least believe on all the evidence of all the things that you've seen in my three years with you. Verily, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do these works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things. Wow, that's a promise. Do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Let me just say a word about Thomas. Uh, I believe that Thomas should be given the title of patron saint of the Libertarians. <laughs> and, and I say this because a Libertarian, by definition, maximizes personal autonomy, maximizes freedom of choice in all things, and a strong aversion to popular opinion and political correctness. I love Thomas, and I think it says something to us that God, uh, through Jesus, chose Thomas to be one of the inner circle. You know, Thomas didn't care that when he raised his hand and asked a question, all the other students in the rooms gasped. <gasps> Can't believe he asked Jesus that. Can't believe that he said he wouldn't believe unless he touched the wounds in the Savior's body. I can't believe that he had the, uh, the wherewithal to, to stop Jesus in his speech and say, excuse me, excuse me, I don't know where you're going. Why did you say I know the way? You know, you got to love Thomas. In fact, Thomas gave courage, I think, to other people because he said what they were thinking. You know, he had the courage to at least put words to it. Philip didn't show a lot of strength either when he said, you know, Jesus, we, we all have our doubts. You know, you just mentioned the Father. If you could show us the Father, that would be cool. You know, we'd all believe in you then if you could actually show us the Father. He said, Philip. Or Nathaniel. I like Nathaniel too. He's one of the twelve. When Philip came and found Nathanael, and he said, Nathanael, we have found the one that Moses and all the Bible talks about, Jesus from Nazareth. Nathanael said, from Nazareth? Nothing good comes from there. You know, he knew his Bible. He knew the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem of Judea. You know, why Nazareth in Galilee? That, that can't be true. And when Jesus came up to Nathanael then later, he said, Nathanael, a Jewish guy who speaks his mind, a man in whom there is no guile, no deceit, a man who just tells it like it is. You know, Jesus surrounded himself with people like that. If you're one of those guys, if you're one of those guys that struggle with some of the, you know, miraculous uh, things that are spoken of in the Bible. You know, I I mentioned that we were watching Cannonball uh, live streaming, uh, even though we were in, in the Northwest. And I remember Pastor Garrett uh, talking and teaching on the basis of uh, the story of, uh, of Jonah and God's call to him to go to Nineveh and preach the message there and how Jonah didn't want to go and how he fled on a boat and the storm came up and he threw him overboard and God created this great fish to swallow him and after three days in the fish he was spit up on dry land and, and uh, lived to tell the story and 
And uh, I remember Pastor Garrett stopping and saying, I can see some of you doubt that story. And that's okay. Don't miss the truth of the story. Now, I happen to believe that God can do anything, so I have no problem with the story. But if you have a problem with the story, hang in there with us. Continue to investigate because this story can change your life. And I appreciate that. I appreciate the fact that uh, there are skeptics in the world. And it's, it's a good attitude to have about the Bible. Say, tell me more about that and dig and dig and dig because you need to own your own faith. You won't be saved because your name is on the roster of a church. You know, we keep a mailing list. I don't know that we keep a roster so much anymore. You're not going to be saved because your wife or your husband believe or because your parents believe. You know, you need to discover your own faith. You need to ask your own questions. Who is this man? You need to do the investigative work. But it's interesting that Thomas did ask the question, Lord, we don't know where you're going. What is there about the human condition? Because I think he spoke for all of us that wants to know the specifics of the future. You know, tell us how this is all going to work out, Jesus. And the only answer Jesus gave to him is to say, Thomas, I am the way. Thomas, I am all the truth that you need to know. I am the life. Now, certainly the main purpose of Jesus coming to earth was to die upon the cross and be raised from the dead to pay the price for the sins of the world and be my personal Savior and your Savior as well. But in the course of that life, in the course of that work, he also showed me the nature of God. He revealed to me, you know, how God is accepting of others. We see that God is the kind of guy who will eat with sinners. We see that Jesus is the kind of guy who is happy to receive children. Jesus honored women. He healed the sick. He crossed social barriers. He crossed racial barriers. He embraced the Samaritans. He crossed faith barriers. He raised the dead. What is there about us that wants to know the specifics of life? Because it's in the uncertainty of opportunity that life is best lived. We all face challenges. You have a life challenge now. I don't know what it is, but you all have them. You, you probably have a bunch of them. It could be a relational challenge. It could be a health challenge. We pray about health issues after every service. People come up and ask for prayer for themselves or from somebody in their family. It could be a financial challenge. Uh, it could be just a, uh, what am I supposed to do with my life kind of challenge. I don't know what your challenge is. Maybe it's a forgiveness challenge. Maybe you're being eaten up by bitterness. I don't know what your challenge is. But you want to know, how's this going to work out? What's the answer? You want to move from there to there. But God knows that life is lived in the opportunity of uncertainty. As parents, we know this. You can't solve all of your kids' problems. It's just enough to stand by them while they discover the answer to their problems because your answer may not be their answer. The answer for Thomas as to how this will work out may be different than for Philip, may be different than for Nathaniel, Matthew, or John. All you need to know is not the what and not the where, but the who. Who is this man? This is the essence of life. When you exercise faith, and the opportunity of uncertainty. And you have that right now in your life. You all have some uncertainty. 
That's the privilege that you have to embrace Jesus as your Lord and Savior and know that he will not leave you and he will not forsake you. Knowing Jesus should be enough. I love this question. He said, have I been with you still so long and you do not know me? I've said that to a few people, you know, who've been confused by my behavior. I said, this is nothing new for me. This is, you've been with me a while. I've been your pastor for a while. This should not surprise you that we're still going to be culturally relevant, that we're still going to be outwardly focused, that we're still going to be biblically sound, that we're not necessarily going to be, you know, culturally irrelevant. Uh, Show us the Father and that would be proof enough, Philip said. And yet, as we stand to criticize the disciples for for not being uh, more courageous and, and not being more willing uh, to just believe that knowing Jesus was enough. I wonder, has Jesus been in your life so long and still you have fear? Many of us are paralyzed by fear. If you're paralyzed by fear, let me introduce you to Jesus. The one who said to the wind and the waves, peace be still. And the disciples said, who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Has he been with you still so long and you have fear of what you don't know? What lies ahead? Has he been with you still so long and you are buried in bitterness? You have not yet discovered how destructive bitterness is to you? And how from the cross as he died... He said, Father, forgive them. They're unaware of what they're doing. If they had known who I was, they would not have killed the Lord of glory. Has he been with you so long? And still you are possessed by your possessions. Well, this is a challenge for West County, isn't it? You know, we're on this treadmill towards success and achievement and acquisition. I think about that with Eric Clapton. I mean, he achieved everything. Homes, money, wine, women, anything. You know, new famous people was invited to the best parties and he was empty. Do you have to come to the end of that rope to realize that you are being possessed by your possessions and God has a better life for you than that? When he said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. You know, those things grow tiresome after a while. Those things can be taken from you. Those things can be destroyed. And you may not have the wherewithal even to replace them. And even if you achieve them, they will not bring you the happiness. They will bring you emptiness in the end. He said, instead, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. You know, living by faith. He said, haven't you thought about the birds in the air and how God feeds them? Haven't you thought about the grass in the field and how God clothes it? He can do so much more for you. Here's the key to not being possessed by possessions. You know, make God's kingdom, his way, his truth, his life, primary in your life. And the rest will take care of itself. Your focus is wrong. You know, get the focus right and these things will provide. Has he been with you so long and, and still you fight depression, still you fight sadness in your life. Did he not say, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you will glorify me? How many of us are still living uh, in hope of discovering meaning in our life and yet Jesus says, meaning in your life? 
Look around you. The fields are widened to harvest. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send people to do his will in his way. And therein find the purpose that you lack. He's the man who won't go away. It's people of faith that change the world. It really is. You know, all the people that I mentioned in the hundred books that I read, uh, these, these people believed something, and they were tenacious about pursuing it, and they changed the world. You believe in something far greater than a principle, far greater than an invention, far greater than a, than a concept or an idea. You believe in one who is the same yesterday and today and forever. The one who was the father personified, who uh, did the will of his father uh, on earth. Jesus said, truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the things I'm doing and will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Now, to be sure, he was the Son of God, but the Bible says that uh, he did not count equality with his Father something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. You know, by faith he did his miracles, and by faith these miracles can still be done through you. He said, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. I love that Pastor Garrett in that last series in uh, Cannonball talked about how we are an outwardly focused church. And that's all well and good, but what do you care about what this church believes? What do you believe? He said that you should also have outwardly focused attitudes in your life. Because if you make yourself and your success or your acquisitions, or if you make your own family the point of your existence, how small is that world? But if you are outwardly focused and you make God's will and, and his desire to reach others, you'll have all of those things as well and you'll achieve so much more. And, and to the greater sense of satisfaction, you will do as many great things as Jesus did. Miracles will flow through you, not by your strength, not by your wisdom, not by your talent or your ability, but by God's favor it will happen. I can tell you how many times I've stepped back and people have complimented me on achieving something. I just think, man, you don't know me. I don't, I don't have the ability to do that. You know, God caused that to happen. I've made some great plans, airtight plans that failed miserably. And I've done some miserable things that succeeded greatly <laughs> because God was in it. Therein lies the key. Faith changes people. Faith changes lives. Faith changes the world. You don't have to be a rock star. You don't have to be a great writer. You don't have to be a military leader. You don't have to discover a cure for cancer. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. And those who abide in that, they know the way. And they will find the solution that they seek. And the home that they desire. Amen. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you that you are not just some past great leader. <laughs> Far greater than that. They're still writing books about you. They're still discovering the value and the inspiration of your truth. And uh, we thank you that even hardened people like uh, an Eric Clapton who has pursued everything and, and has been gifted everything that the world wants, the things that the world lusts after, and came up empty until he, until he fell to his knees and just said, I surrender it all. And then he found life that is truly life. Lord, help us to, to live in that truth, to reprioritize our life and however painful it might be, uh, to make an incremental move in that direction until we can be what you would have us be. Uh, yes, to your glory, but also, Lord, to our sense of purpose and, and wholeness and satisfaction. Lord, grant it for Jesus. Amen.